Welcome to Know My Faith, and my guest uh, this time is Alison Marshall, who is in, uh, it's Eilat that you live in, isn't it? Down the end of Israel. Right, right down the bottom. Yep. Uh, a lovely place. And uh, Alison is uh, the main tour guide at the Tabernacle in the Wilderness, which is a full-size tabernacle in the uh, in the Timna Desert. Uh, the first question is, how did a girl from the Hutt Valley end up being a tour guide in the Timna Valley? Well, in 1990, I came to work for the government for fisheries research. And um, after, was it five years, I was given permanent residency by the um, country. Yep. And so I worked 15 years in the uh, fisheries research because I'd worked at Mafish in Mahunga Bay in Wellington for seven years before I went, came over here to actually volunteer for one year. And here I am, what, 31 years later, so still here. <laughs> Tell us the history. But, um, so in 1999, um, a, an organization bought a model of the life-size model or replica of the tabernacle from a Bible college in Germany. They wanted to rent it, but the Bible college had had no more requests for um, showing it, so they said, look, we want to sell it. So they gathered together money and bought it, and it came over to Israel, to Timna Park, which is just north of Eilat, as a tourist attraction. So I've been helping out volunteering in the weekends because I was still working for fisheries research, but eventually I ended up um, being full-time there, uh, and um, so... For 20 years, part you know, volunteer and full time. 20 yep. years. I'm actually not there now. I'm looking after the website totally because I actually um, was working on my own, trying to hold everything together for six years. Was it when I didn't have much help? <laughs> I ended up having a heart attack yeah, out there. Yeah. So, so the government, you know, the Betorkalo me, we call it the national insurance wouldn't let me work out there anymore. But um, so one of the guys I trained is now looking after the place with other help from Israelis, believers, and I'm doing the website and supporting them, you know, with lots of prayer. Well, exciting things yeah. are happening, you know. We've always prayed that more Israelis would come and learn about the Bible, the Torah and Tanakh, and it's happening. Lockdown, no tourists can come. That's it. So who comes? The locals. So it's really quite exciting. The first thing that that I found when when we drove around there, and I uh, I'm thinking a lot of people will discover this as well, is um, how small it is. Because you, you, yes. you for for a full size tabernacle, because in your mind you're thinking this enormous thing that they're taking around, and it's actually it's actually not that big. No, it isn't. It's um, I think people think of the temple. Because I often get people confused with sizes, and I'm like, "This is the tabernacle." You know, yeah. they had to pack the pieces and carry it. It's um, one third the size of the ark. I mean, the ark was 300 cubits long. The tabernacle courtyard is 100 cubits long, so it's a third the size of the ark of you know, Noah. Um, so it's interesting. It's the same width, 50 cubits wide. The courtyard is the same width of the ark. And the building 
is 30 cubits long. Now, if you turn the building up on its end, that's the height of the arc. I find that very interesting, that the, the proportions, you know, the arc saved mankind and the animals, and the yeah. tabernacle spiritually was a design to show us how God was going to save us spiritually, you know. There's so much in that. Um, you know, um, you said you've had, what is it, 20 years doing the tabernacle. It's There's, there's so many... Uh, typological things in there that you know it's a, it, it's a type of the church it's a type of the each believer it's obviously a type of Jesus um, are you still discovering things and going oh flip I didn't see that yes after all these still still and even when I was reading in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the and the other writings things just suddenly leap to mind and think, wow, that fits in here and that fits in with this. It's just, you know, it's a pattern into yeah. which the Holy Spirit just shows you where everything fits, you know. So it's a constant learning experience. Which is probably why God said to Moses, make sure you build it exactly the way I told you in the mountain. And there's two descriptions, you know, one when God told him and one when he inspected it. So you know that he actually built exactly what God described. Yeah, and yeah. measurements, everything, yeah. What amazed me, um, I think, the m most recently was, uh, I was just thinking actually about the... Um, about Yom Kippur and the fact that in the, in the second temple, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking about what was there, but uh, it just made me start thinking about how they, uh, the, the, the poles were left in this, in the rings on the Ark of the Covenant. And if I've got it correctly, they actually collapsed the curtains down on top of it before they carried it away. Yes, so they'd never see it. They'd never see it. Nobody ever saw yeah. it except the, except the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, because when you think there's no natural light there, if the Shekinah glory glowed, then yes, he would have seen it. But otherwise, um, he it said um, the rods poked out under the curtain, so he knew where to enter. So yeah. he could feel the rods on the floor and um, know where he was. So who knows? No, you know, yeah, that's one yeah. of the questions I want to ask when I get there. <laughs> and, he, and he had to take the incense um, sensor through, well, fill it up with smoke before he went in. Yes, yes. He had to first put the, uh, a sensor, like a bowl with hot coals and the incense and put it in first before he entered. So everything would be covered. The curtains over the top have always been an amazing thing. The the curtains that actually covered the the holy place and the holy of holies, which was three layers. Um, what's the significance of those? It's actually four layers. Okay. We've got the the first layer, which was fine linen with the um, cherubim embroidered on them, and they were. Um, 28 cubits. So they covered from the top of the silver base all the way over to the top of the neck silver base on the other side. Then there was um, uh, woven goat hair. So that was 30 cubits. So it covered from the ground all the way over to the ground. So those two curtains were on, you know, close to the building. Yep. And yeah. so you didn't see the, the cherubim or the wonderful colors or the gold. It was covered. Then you had 
um, ramskins dyed red, and a tachash, which is most likely a marine animal skin because it's still the most expensive leather in the world today is, is marine animal. So, um, but there's no measurements on those. And so most uh, scholars think they, that they were open because that would make a holy space to store all the incense and the flower and everything the priests needed for ministering in the holy place. Yeah. And of course the temple, another big clue is the temple actually had rooms on each side because they didn't have the tent. So those are the four layers. I mean, when you talk about the things, there's the, there's the, the snuffers and the, uh, what was I just reading here? The, the, um, well, they obviously had to store the bars that they carried everything with. They had to be stored somewhere, but there was the, the, the all the sockets and all the other bits and pieces that you sit there and you go, the, the whole time and you're going, there's so much detail in this tabernacle. Um, you know, you'd have to be a master craftsman to even understand it. Well, God, a holiav. Um, and Bezalel. Bezalel is actually the first man listed in the Bible or mentioned in the Bible where the Holy Spirit came upon him. And so the Holy Spirit guided him. And of course, Moses four times was told, as, I sh as, as I've shown you. So obviously God gave him a vision yep. and he described it to Bezalel. And Bezalel, with the help of the Holy Spirit, designed and built and, you know, out of gold, um, the ark and the table and everything. And of course, the Levites that were listed in charge, um, each one, each family had their, you know, specific jobs. Um, they were told by name what to do. So yeah, everybody God them had by their name. job. Yeah. And, and so there were two, about, uh, ooh, from memory, 2,200 of them, each with their specific job. And you know the size of the place. They would have become very practiced at put, put, taking it down, stacking it on the ox carts, yep. and um, taking it. Except the holy items, of course, covered and hand carried by the Kahat family. Yeah, except for that one time when David tried to take the ark up to uh, Jerusalem on oh, a cart. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, yes, and and if all else fails, read the instructions. <laughs> well, I mean, he it's... went back to Jerusalem and read up and like whoop. But it's a, it's a little bit like, um, and, and I wanted to ask you this, the familiarity breeds contempt. The, the ark had been in the house uh, of Abinadab, I think it was, for uh, something like 20 years. And it was yeah, one of his sons years. who touched it. So, uh, And I remember a time when I was working for Rima Media. You know, I was working in Christian radio and I'd been in it for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And I said, God, I'm doing this because it's a job. I need money to feed my family and pay rent. And the whole ministry feeling has gone. Has that ever happened to you with the tabernacle? No. I did have some teenagers come and help me one holiday, and their comment was, how can you do this every day? Ten <laughs> tours, the same. And I said, they're not the same. It's the same basic scriptures, but the Holy Spirit will give me other scriptures to add. And I found it really dynamic. I never found it boring although i was asking the lord you know please show me more and and the tour grew as you know it became very difficult what to leave in and what to add you know it, you know otherwise it gets longer and longer that's right but yeah no, it was so dynamic it was that's the, the part i really 
miss, the two parts I miss is driving out in the morning, praying for all the people who were going to come and praising and, and raking the lawn, as I called it, the courtyard, so everything was neat and tidy. So I just prayed first thing in the morning. And then amazing tours, some of them. Some of them were difficult, of course, difficult people. But um, just, no, it was, that's the dynamic I miss. That's why I'm really praying now, Lord, please, yeah. through this website, give me words to write that, that you know, has that same dynamics of, it was life-giving. It was, you know, it gave me energy and, yeah. uh, you know, giving the tours because I really believe in declaring God's word and most of the tour was quoting scripture. So just by quoting scripture, it was like releasing God's word into the atmosphere. Is it mostly believers that uh, go to the tabernacle or is it uh, like a, a, a fair mix of believers and unbelievers? Basically, it, the, before COVID, okay, yeah. um, 90% of the um, people that came were buses, um, believing buses, 10% were Israelis. Now, of course, it's mainly Israelis. But the interesting thing is that within the Christians, we got a lot of like Christadelphians, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, um, uh, Calvinists, whatever. So um, some of them would react to the scripture, um, depending on their doctrine. Yep. And others would patiently listen to the whole thing, and then they'd go out the front and, and de deprogram their young people <laughs> from, from what I'd told them of scripture because they had to fit them into their doctrine. It was really quite amazing, but I felt intimidated at first, and then the Lord said, hey, it's not your responsibility. Yeah. Your responsibility is speak my word. The reaction of the people is their responsibility. Don't watch their reactions, you know. And that really helped because if they got upset and and argued and whatever, all I'd say is, look, this is what Scripture says. What more can I say? Scripture says this. Yeah, and if we read the parable of the sower correctly, uh, when Jesus tells the disciples the meaning, he says the seed is the word, and and what yeah. you're doing is you're just you just say, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is, so even though the, you know, some of these people might be trying to deprogram their people afterwards, you've already planted the word, the pure yeah. word of God's word in there. If if there was one thing that you would want people to take away from the tabernacle, from the tour of the of the tabernacle in the wilderness, what would the one thing be? Seek the Holy Spirit that he would teach you from the scriptures. I was always telling them, look, don't believe what I tell you. You go and you check it out yourself like the Bereans in Acts. And I said, God has something special for everyone. Don't just accept that you have to listen and take what other people say. You take what they say, check it out with Scripture, and keep going because the Holy Spirit will have something special, some insight to show you. And I told them because that's what kept me going. These insights would be like, what? I've read this 20 times and never seen it before. But it's like, I, I told them, it's like um, education, you can't give a three-year-old a university thesis to read because first he has to go to school and learn to read and write and learn science and everything before he can even understand it. So a lot of people give up on reading the Bible because, oh, I don't understand it. 
So keep reading. Because as you learn precept upon precept upon precept, your understanding grows. And that's why we can read the same verse 20 times and see something yep. amazing each one of those 20 times. The, when, when, God's, uh, when the Bible is laying out the tabernacle, it starts from the Holy of Holies and, and moves out. But can we start from the outside and move in with some of the some of the significant things, even regarding the tent right around the whole of the the tabernacle. Can you share some insights on that? Yeah, brief overview. Yes, because God started with the ark from His point of view out, but we have to start from our point of view to deal with sin first of all. Otherwise, we can't go in. So that's why it was built facing the east. So they literally had to turn their back on the rising sun and the false gods. And and because God said, bring me your offerings, because they were going to the east offering it to donkey gods. So that's the main thing is to bring your offering to the gate. And God instituted that in Genesis. He took an innocent life and it died instead of Adam and Eve. And he took the skin and clothed them. So it's really a picture of the Messiah. He gave his blood, his life to pay us. In, in the Old Testament, it's always temporary. Every time you sin, another sacrifice until Christ finished that. Yep. So once for all. And we are accepted in the beloved. So it's a picture of, of basically, you know, in New Zealand, we know that if a, I don't know what they do in the modern days, but the old days when a lamb died, the mother wouldn't accept another lamb. So they'd take the skin of her lamb and put it on an orphan lamb and she accepted it. And it's really a picture. God has put us in Yeshua's skin and we're accepted in the beloved. So the first thing dealt with was the, the sin and the blood was, was taken by the priests into the courtyard and sprinkled on the horns and around the altar. And then depending on the sacrifice, um, a portion was burnt to the Lord and the rest, the priests or people, you know, I won't go into all the sacrifices. It's very detailed. One of the things I wanted to uh, learn when I went over to, to Israel, and I sat down with uh, Israel Harel for a, for a wonderful Shabbat evening, uh, and, and we we're talking about this because when we, and, and you would know this from, from probably from your early days before the tabernacle, is when we think sacrifice, you think get the cow or the sheep, put it on the altar, it turns to charcoal and God smiles. But... Some of the some of the sacrifices we eat a portion. Some of the sacrifices the priests eat a portion, and we eat a portion. And some of the sacrifices it does all go up to God. And and there's just there's so much in that as well. Well, the sin sacrifice specifically, the blood was poured out. The fat and the kidneys were burnt on the altar, but the skin, bones, flesh, everything was carried out to where they put the holy coals from the altar each day and totally burnt outside. So we see that, um, well, all the sacrifices represent what Christ has done, but this specific sin one, we see that he was crucified outside the camp. And um, so he fulfilled all the um, uh, law regarding all the sacrifices. Yeah. So sin is dealt with on the altar, which is covered with copper, which is represents judgment. So judgment comes on sin at the altar. And then there's the copper wash basin filled with living water from a spring that the Levites constantly had to bring and the priests constantly had to take water out to wash 
their hands and feet before they sacrificed and after they sacrificed. So again, you can't put limits on God's word. There were no limits on the wash basin. The altar has measurements, the wash basin doesn't. So this living water, the living word. So again, John, you know, the word became yep. flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him as the um, glory of the Lord, you know. And so you've got that living water aspect. Then the building itself, uh, you have, like you said, the holy place and the holy of holies. In the holy place is the table of showbread, again, with measurements, wood covered with gold, 12 oh. breads representing the 12 tribes. And the priests had to eat them every Shabbat and put fresh ones. It was this <clears throat> communion, you know, and, and Messiah said, I am the bread of life. So, and opposite that, that was on the north side. On the south side was the menorah one solid piece of gold. Again, no measurements on the menorah. It was beaten to seven branches with almond flowers and knobs. And, of course, we see many times in the Bible, Revelation, the seven spirits of God. Yeshua said he yeah. is the one that has the seven spirits of God. And in the writings in Isaiah 11 verse 2, it clearly says, on the Messiah, or the root from Jesse's rod, which is the reference to the Messiah, will come the seven spirits of God. And they're listed there. The spirit of the Lord, one central, and then three pairs, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, intimacy and reverence. In English, we say no, but it's not this no. It's Adam knew, Eve, and conceived. Yes. Intimacy. Yeah. And that's the Holy Spirit. It represents the light. Christ is the light of the world, the oil, the Holy Spirit. So we can't limit God's word. So no limits on the wash basin. Can't limit God's. That, that's interesting you say that because in the in the temple we know the the size of the basin that Solomon yeah. built, but but yeah. there's no actual dimensions given for the tabernacle. No. Oh, no. that's interesting. And we don't and know whatsoever. Okay. And also, it was directly in line with the altar and between the altar and the door, whereas yeah. in the temple they offset the wash basin to one side. But in the tabernacle, um, which is the instructions God gave to Moses, it's and, it, and that's very significant, as we'll see. I'll, I'll d tell yeah. you why yeah. it's in line. And, of course, near the curtain in the middle of the um, holy of holies near the curtain is the altar of incense again yes. wood covered with gold and the hot coals from the altar every morning and evening and fresh special incense you know and then in the holy of holies the ark of the covenant as you said the rods were um constantly in there i believe from what it says on the corners and the rings i believe the rings were under the little next to the little feet of the ark and the rods went under because if you had gold rings on the side, as soon as you picked it up, they'd fall off. Yeah, because of the gold weight of the ark. Wrong. But it makes sense that they were next to the little feet under the ark to hold the poles in place. And when you pick it up, the poles support the weight of the ark. And it's not just the ark with the solid gold top, it's the curtain. Um, tachash skin and a blue cloth. I mean, yeah. it was super heavy. <laughs> so if you look at all the holy items, you've got the sign of a cross as, as the foundation of the tabernacle because they covered everything, took the tabernacle building and courtyard away. So lying in the sand every time they traveled before they were picked up and carried was the sign of a cross, yeah. you know, ark, 
incense altar, wash basin altar, and then the menorah and the table of showbread. And that was so, uh, th that was um, magnified, I suppose, a little. It would be the right word with the tribes around the tabernacle as well, because when you look at the numbers, yep, that also formed yep, a formed a cross. The menorah is probably my favourite piece of furniture in the holy place. I won't say in the holy holies because it wasn't there, but in, but because uh, if if I've read it correctly, it actually had sixty six individual elements out of this one piece of beaten gold with the seven yeah. branches, and each branch had three sections on it, and each Six section had the bowl and the flower and the knob. So there's 66 individual elements making up one complete whole. It's the only yes. light in the holy place, and the light is only visible through the ministry of the oil, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, so if that's that's an amazing picture of the Word of God. Yes. Yes, it is. That's that's astound. There's just so many pictures, multiple pictures within each of the items, and and each, you know, just as it's it's so exciting. <laughs> and of course, mentioning the three curtains, there's three entrances. There's the one way in that only the priests could go and Levites could go into the courtyard. Then you have the next curtain, and there were five pillars covered with gold with copper bases in front of the Holy of Holies. And, of course, in John it says the law came through Moses, so you've got the law, judgment, five copper, and grace was represented by five, and it says grace and truth through the Messiah. So you have, therefore, one way in, you have the curtain of grace and truth, and then before the Holy of Holies there's only four golden pillars with silver redemption bases. And this parochet, this third curtain, had the angels on it, like representing the cherubim in the Garden of Eden, you cannot enter. Yeah. And so there you have the representation of the five books of the Pentateuch and the four books of the Gospel. Um, and, of course, when Yeshua died on the cross, that was the curtain that was ripped. By the temple days, there was a door uh, you know, a gate and a door, yeah. and the the curtain was the last curtain was only in the hole before the hole, and that's what ripped because God took away the cherubim, the prices paid that we may enter in, and the Bible's clear that His flesh was torn that we may enter in. So that the cherubim were on that inner curtain. Yes, the inner ah. curtain before the holy of holies. There were cherubim embroidered on it. Right. I, I, I'd never made three. the connection with the Garden of Eden before. Yeah, yeah. Very clear because they were they were thrown out towards the east and the cherubim were put on guard. Yeah. So the way back is not that you have to worship to the west. The whole point was turn your back on the false gods yes. that, that yes. are mainly worshipped to the east. And the cherubim were represented as, as still guarding the way until... Uh, Messiah paid the price, and then God literally removed them. It's it's fascinating, and the thing is with the numbers as well. Um, although we like to know, uh, you know, how big something is, and whether you work. I mean, I work in feet and inches. Um, my wife Sharon, who's the same age as me, she works in meters and centimeters. Um, but when we're talking about biblical measurements, because uh, you mentioned eight was the is the number of grace. Or was it five at least with the with the five. pillars? Five is grace. Yeah. If if the if the tabernacle or if something is is something cubits long, it's the number of cubits that's the important number, not how long it is in meters or in feet. 
No, the the cubits. I, in fact, you know, I've I've so much dwelt on cubits that um, I, I can't I can't tell you its size in in feet or or meters. And a cubit is a cubit is fingertips to elbow, isn't it? Yeah, fingertip yeah. to elbow. So about eighteen inches or um, forty five centimeters, something like that. What are some of the reactions you get from people uh, from unbelievers? It's really interesting. Uh, I can from Jewish people that have come. You've got the secular who are like, "Is this really in the Bible? I mean, really? Yeah. Is this, you know?" So that some of them get quite excited and interested. And like, I had one um, Jewish guy from South Africa say, "I must get a get a Bible. I I need to read this up." And I said, "Look, I've only I've got one in English because he was from South Africa." And in those days, I had all the Hebrew photocopied out with little pictures because I couldn't speak Hebrew so well. And his wife was Israeli. Right. And so, you know, she asked for all my Israel, my Hebrew notes, and I gave him my Bible. You know, I said, look, it's got a New Testament in it. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. I need to read. I need. Yeah. So I gave away my Bible and my my printed um, Hebrew notes, and that was the time that God said, "Okay, you just you just listen to me and don't go back and print out any more Hebrew notes." So I got better in my Hebrew after that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was one. I've had a, a very religious man and his wife come, and he was very upset that I, as a woman and a Gentile, knew the scriptures, yeah. and and he was very upset about you can't know this, you can't know this. And and he got really upset about that. And his wife later, as as he left, and she came up and whispered in my ear, you really do know the scriptures. And I've had one man, one family come, and um, the, the wife and the daughter gave up halfway through because they asked, you know, tell us what the Christians believe. So the wife and the daughter gave up halfway through, but the man and his son came all the way through. And they were like, wow, wow, we need to know more about this. So I gave him the the Berean to Berean website card because yeah. that we give out to believers. We can't give it out to Jewish people unless they ask. If they ask and they want to know, then we're free to tell them. Otherwise, we just give the Old Testament and they actually have to ask us. For the new, but it's amazing how many are more and more curious and interested. What what have Christians to do with the tabernacle? Why should they be interested in the tabernacle? Mm, because you're not so, allowed to proselytize, are you? No, no, no. But the thing is, I mean, I asked some rabbis to tell me about you know this, that, and the next thing. I don't need to take it as gospel truth, but it's interesting to know how they yeah. think, and so they're free to ask us what we believe. And and when they ask, we're free to tell them what we believe. Yeah. How hard is it on you um, doing a tour of the tabernacle when you can't talk about Yeshua? Oh, you really long to tell them, that's for sure. But the thing is, I just love putting in the scriptures like Isaiah 11.2 and saying, you know, the... Um, the spirit of the Lord, you know, is going to come on the Messiah. That's what is written in scripture. And the menorah has seven branches. So those types from the writings in the Torah that clearly have the scriptures there 
Isaiah 11 too, you can say, look, the menorah represents that Isaiah. You just can't go on to say, and John saw it actually happen, the yeah. dove came and, you know, but you can at least use the scripture to point out the types within the tabernacle. And I still find that exciting to explain that to them because they're like, oh, I didn't see that before. And a lot of them, uh, especially the young 13, 14-year-olds who've just been bar mitzvah, they're so zealous that they keep saying, that's not there, that's not there, that's not the scripture. So you just give them the the quote because they're so confused with all the Mishnah and the Talmud and everything, you know, in with that they forget which is Torah and which isn't. So you give them the scripture and they look it up on their faithful iPad or whatever they have in their trusted yes. Hebrew script. And they start reading with gusto to prove that I'm wrong. Bah, bah, bah. And then they read exactly word for word what I just said. And they're like, oh. So that's why it's so exciting. Scripture interprets yeah. scripture. You just have to tell them scripture. When when we were leaving, uh, we did the City of David tour, uh, which, which was fascinating. <laughs> and uh, I bumped into an American Jewish uh, man and his wife, and so Sharon and I, we got on reasonably well with them, you know, through the tour and ironically met each other at Ben Gurion as we were leaving. And I knew he'd been to uh, Mishnaic school in Jerusalem uh, a few years beforehand, which is, uh, it was like five or six months studying the Mishnah. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, we've got 10 minutes left before we fly out of the country. We'll, we'll never see each other again. So I'm not, I'm not trying to convert you because they knew we were Christians and believers. I said, I'm not trying to convert you, but there's this passage in Isaiah that says, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, and his name shall be. And so I, I showed him, I had, you know, I had the, the Bible on my phone, and, and I showed him, I said, what is the, the Jewish understanding? Because, you know, you've done the study. What, what is the Jewish understanding of this, this passage? And he looks at it, he goes, I've never, we didn't study the Torah or Tanakh, we just studied the Mishnahs. It's, it's like we, did, we didn't read the Bible, we just read the Catechism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you go, ah, oh, my goodness. You know, children, young children at school, you know, before they get to bar mitzvah, <laughs> they, they, um, they've learned the Bible, they've studied the Bible as such. So yeah. you can talk to them a lot more about what's in, in scripture because that's all they've studied at school. It's once they get to the yeshivot and, and have all this extra. What's your favorite, if you look back over the years, what's your favorite discussion with someone? Can you can you pick one? One of the ones was, I suppose, with a Calvinist leader. He was really upset because um, they said only God can choose you because, of course, the Bible is so clear. Choose this day who you will serve. I have put before you life and death, blessing and a curse. The choice is yours. And he was very upset about that. And I said, well, this is what Scripture says. And he said, no, only God can choose you. And if he doesn't, you're lost. I said, that's not what the Bible says. It's very clear that Christ paid for every single human being. And every single human being is paid for. But to appropriate it, appropriate it we have to choose. It's, it's, we need to come to him and confess our sin, repent, and believe in him. So I used to tell the young people, you can remember, you know, confess, repent, believe, receive, choose to refuse, you lose. Yeah. So that that was really interesting. And I find it sad that so many 
Christian doctrines are missing. I now understand why Paul said, I seek to know none among you except Christ and him crucified. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, similar to the, the church in China when they started turning out, you know, because you, you get the, the little microchip for your phone, the SD card for oh. your phone, and uh, they said, hey, you know, we can put the Bible on here, we can put strong concordance on there, we can put all these commentaries and bits and pieces, and they're going, actually, we don't want all of those, we just want the scripture. We, want, yeah. we just want the word. Um, yeah. I had a friend actually, um, Mike Pavlitich, I don't know if Michael's listening or watching, but uh, he, was a, he was a strong proponent of reading the Bible on the phone. It's the new modern way to do it. But what he said was he got so distracted, he'd, he'd start reading a verse and then he'd be looking up all the different commentaries and he'd spend an hour, an hour and a half reading commentaries and realizing that he'd only actually read two verses. What's the, what's the future for the tabernacle? Is it, uh, are you going to continue doing it for the next 10, 20, 30 years until the, or until the Lord comes back? Until the Lord comes. Is it, sa Lord is it comes safe? I... Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we're surrounded by enemies and things are heating up. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but, I mean um... is, is, from a, from a, from a uh, for the tabernacle itself, from the, from a, the government's not going to turn around and say, no, you can't do it. No, it's tourist attraction. They, they, you know, I mean, they want to start tourism because it's a big loss in our revenue as a country. Um, and, of course, the park manager used to be like Marco, who I trained. He used to work at a place called Dolphin Reef, and the guy who was manager there is now manager of the park. Right. So they get on really well. And so so the, the, the tabernacle, I mean, it's really an answer to prayer. We've prayed for years for a real... You know, the park has, has kept us at an arm's length and like, oh, you know, when when people can't, you know, don't mention Jesus, don't mention Jesus when they had yeah. special visitors coming. And um, it was they only, you know, the previous park manageress, she'd only tolerated us because she made so much money from us, <laughs> from, from charging the people full entrance just to drive to the tabernacle. They made yeah. a lot of money. So if the tabernacle went, they'd their revenue would decrease by half or more. But this new guy, he's he's really interested in promoting it and um, and really helping Marco. And it, there's a, you know, I mean, it's an answer to prayer. What can I say? Yeah. So it looks as though things will improve and and um, that will be great. And we're just waiting now for tourism to open up. Yeah, the, uh, I've got to say the whole Timna Valley is well worth going to. I mean, we we oh, yeah. went specifically because we knew you were there with the with the tabernacle, but there's so much in that Timna Valley. It is well worth the entry fee. Well worth mm -hmm. it. Oh yeah, you need to go early first thing in the morning and be prepared to stay all day. That's right. <laughs> because there's just so much to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then pop down to Eilat for a swim. A yeah, for a swim, a cool off. No, they've got, done a real new visitor centre, which is amazing. They have um, videos and, and um, replicas of the tools used for mining copper. I mean, they've really made it uh, an extremely educational. Um, so you get everything, the lowdown right at the entrance and then a map, and you can go to all the places and see 
the actual, you know, archaeological sites. You yeah, know. yeah. I mean, that copper mining thing, that, that uh, surprised me because that was the, uh, was it the Egyptians that were in there doing that? Yes, yeah. yeah. Although Solomon did use it. They, they found some royal purple um, uh, thread there or robe there. Um, there's a lot more that they've found there, amazing stuff. Uh, there was a huge, huge, like, mini town right by Solomon's Pillars. All yep. that flattish area is just they've been digging up houses. I mean, it must have been really extensive. It'll take them years to ever get anywhere near the tip of the iceberg in that place. So it was very well populated in the winter with these teams digging and smelting and and um, casting the copper ready to take back to Egypt. And then they left a crew in the summertime with the donkeys just to guard the the place and and um, look after it. But all the work was done in the winter. Well, I can imagine that because we came in the spring and it was getting pretty up, you know, over 40 degrees already. So yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the website. Um, the one with scriptures on it is com. And that has um, uh, like a virtual tour that you can download 28 pages of a summary. There's a book of 92 pages with a lot more details. That's $10 for the yep. PDF. <clears throat> but there's a lot. Um, I've done timelines, uh, the plagues of Egypt, showing how God des destroyed the Egyptian gods. You know, each plague is related to an Egyptian god. That's right. Um, who could not hold his own and was totally devastated by the one true God. So, because you've got to realize <clears throat> the Bible does say that some of the Egyptians left with Israel, those that saw that yeah. their God was real, those were the strangers that camped around the camp. So you've got, it never says how many, but um, you've got these Egyptians who left with Israel, which is amazing because they saw the demonstration. So you've got these timelines. I've also got PowerPoint with speaking and PowerPoint without speaking that you can use um, the pictures and whatever yourself to give a, a talk, all sorts of stuff. And we've started doing a blog now and newsletters. So um, so that's bereantoberean.com. Yes. So um, www.berean slash middle, middle slash T-O middle slash Berean.com. Okay. And I'm still working on, there's a, there's a, there's a simple site um, for all the local details of the park and times and whatever on um, tabernacle.co.il. And that will eventually have um, Hebrew scriptures because it's, mainly for information and for the Jewish people. Yeah. But, you know, if they want to know the Christian, they can go to Baran to Brian. But if they want to look at the Hebrew, so we're still working on that, you know, Marco's going to, and we're going to have many languages on that one, Spanish and Russian. And actually on Baran to Brian, there's also a Russian and a German um, version that people can download. Because there's so many, uh, so many people making aliyah and coming in from from those different from you know Europe from from Russia. You've got the Africans coming in as well. So that's yeah, multicultural, you Multi, know, very yeah. multicultural. Yeah, absolutely. And Kiwis. Yes. 
there's a few of us here. Yeah, that's right. Hey, Alison, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you never know, I might call you back again and we'll, we'll delve a little bit deeper into the, mm -hmm. into the holy place. Yeah, blessings. Love you guys. It's good to see your face again. <laughs> yeah, good to see you too. So uh, Alison Marshall from the Tabernacle in the Wilderness. So check out that website, berean-2-berean.com and uh, find out more about that. And if you travel to Israel, make sure that you head down uh, to the Timna Valley and uh, see it in its fullness. Remember to, to click all the likes and the follows and all those sorts of things. And uh, we'll see you next time on the next podcast here at Know My Faith.